Well, good morning, RCC. It's uh, good to be with you today. Uh, my name is Ben Seaman. I serve on staff here as our lead minister. Uh, as Tyler has said, if this is your first uh, Sunday with us, uh, we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're here. If you're watching uh, online through our Facebook live stream, uh, we're so excited that you're uh, watching and joining with us. We would encourage you to fill out the Connect card. We'd love to see you at our Connection Cafe. Um, a lot of folks that have been watching online uh, for a while have uh, made their way to our physical location. So if you're watching online today and you're in the area, we'd love for you to come and check us out either at our 930 or an 11 o'clock uh, gathering. If you are new today, uh, you picked a great, a great weekend. Uh, you probably think, well, you're paid to say that, but, but really you did because we are at the beginning of a seven-week series uh, entitled Jesus Is. And so kind of the framework, the big idea is taking Jesus off the shelf and putting him in our lives, where he's just not an intellectual idea, but he's actually transforming uh, our lives. Now, we, we talked about uh, week one that Jesus says he's the bread of life, which is a crazy statement uh, because Jesus is claiming to have existed back in the book of Exodus and supplying the Israelites with, uh, with you know, basically breakfast, lunch, and dinner as they're journeying 40 years from Egypt uh, to Canaan, from slavery to freedom, uh, from slavery to freedom. Really, it should have taken them a week and a half, but you know, like I said in week one, that's what happens when a lady's not leading the trip. You just kind of go in circles, right? Uh, but, but last week we talked about uh, that Jesus is the light of the world. That darkness isn't just um, in third world countries, although it is, but darkness is in uh, gated communities with big houses and and well kept. Uh, lawns. If you're in middle school and high school, uh, I don't have to twist your arm to know that there's even darkness in your school and, and not even darkness that you can physically see, but it's also uh, online. And today we're going to talk about probably the most controversial statement that Jesus has ever made. Um, he, he, if Jesus were to play poker, he'd be very aggressive, right? He's that guy that goes all in every hand. And you're like, come on, we know that you have a pair of twos, chill, right? But if Jesus is actually telling the truth here, uh, this separates <clears throat> himself from all other religious leaders of, uh, throughout, throughout history. And so I, I just want to, I want to encourage you, help me out and let you know what's, what you're about to experience, uh, today is this is going to be a different kind of sermon. Uh, I'm going to dig into the weeds of the Greek text. I'm going to talk about the historical reality of what's happening in the gospel of John. Cause he, here's my heart. Okay. It, whether you're convinced uh, or you're curious about Jesus, I want you to at least know what you're following or what you are walking away from. Because half the time I, I talk to folks that, um, that, that claim atheism or they're not following Jesus, and I, and I ask them, tell me, what do you mean by that? Typically, the, the Jesus or the God they're describing isn't the Jesus that he declares himself to be. So I, I just would encourage you, whether you're convinced or curious, and even as you're watching online, just, just to consider the statement uh, that Jesus is going to make about himself. Now, I said in week one, different um, you know, musicians and uh, comics and actors and political people all have an opinion 
about who Jesus is. You actually don't get to go to the grave without deciding if Jesus is who he says he was or he was just kind of a, a, a joke. And, and, and most Americans are, are kind of nominal. They, they like the idea that Jesus is kind of about love and acceptance and would probably write really good Hallmark cards. But I, I just want to look at what does Jesus actually say so that we can know what we're following, or if we decide, we can know what we're walking away from. Just personally, I respect my atheist friends who's considered the weight and the intellectual and emotional uh, uh, deal of crossing the line and walking away from Jesus than I do my friends who've been Christians their whole life and really borrowing their parents' faith. And they just go to church because it's Sunday. I, I think when you make that decision for yourself, there's more ownership, right? And, and uh, your, your own personal journey. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to John 8, verse 45. If not, it'll be on the screen. Uh, Jesus' popularity is starting to gain. Uh, and this week, uh, people in the, uh, in the crowd and the people that he's following are now forming opinions about Jesus, okay? Jesus was a good man. Some people believe that he was a liar and a deceiver. Some people believe that he was a prophet. Some people believe that he was actually the Messiah. And often, religious people found Jesus to be confusing. They really didn't know what to do with him. And so we're going to dive into this text, and this is the pretext before the statement. And in John 8, 45, John records this. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees. Chief priests and Pharisees are the religious leaders of the Jewish sect in Jesus's day, okay? And they already have a theology. They already have a box, a framework, a lens of which they view God. And they said, who asked them, why didn't you bring him, Jesus, in? No one has ever spoke the way this man does. Now, let me just say this. It is fair for Jesus's opponents to admit that what he's claiming is something they've never heard. So you know you've, if, if you're investigating faith, right? If you're watching online, you're not sure Jesus is who he is. At least you have, you have the, the, the favor that Jesus's opponents at least agree that they've never heard statements made uh, about somebody in this manner. So a good debate, right? If, if you're in a good debate, it's not... It's not that you need to know your own side. You need to know your opponent's side. And you know your opponent's side when they can say, yes, that's actually what I believe. And so Jesus' opponents are actually saying, whoa, the claims that he's making are things that I've never heard before. Verse 47, you mean that Jesus has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted, having any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, right? But Because they didn't want to get in trouble. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, the Jesus followers, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, pause. In John chapter three, Nicodemus uh, goes to Jesus in the cover of darkness. So, it, you know, Halloween's around the corner. If, if you want to read an interesting theme in the gospel of John, go, go take the next two, three weeks to read through the gospel of John and really dig into <clears throat> when John talks about the idea of darkness. All right, and, the, and, and, and just make note of what's happening around there. So Nicodemus is a religious uh, Jewish figure in the first century who goes to Jesus <clears throat> at night because he's embarrassed by what 
uh, he wants to ask Jesus. And, and that's just, I think, common in our spiritual development, especially for our friends that aren't Christians yet. They have questions they want to ask, <clears throat> but some of them are embarrassing. Nicodemus is a very intelligent man. He knows the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, front and back. And yet, in the cover of darkness, he goes to Jesus and says, all right, lay it out. What, what, how do I get to heaven? And Jesus says, you must be born again, right? And, and, uh, and so I love middle school students. In a very middle school uh, form, he goes, born again? Like, I'm fatter than my mom. I'm taller than her. I have hair on my... F- what do you mean born again? And Jesus has this conversation of the connection between our salvation and baptism. Now, I tell you all of that for what's going to happen in verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? Nicodemus is actually vouching for Jesus in kind of a passive-aggressive PC way. You almost get the sense that Jesus and Nicodemus had a connection three chapters back in John chapter 3. And and Nicodemus asked a very uh, important question that even if you think Jesus is crazy, he's owed a trial. And that makes what happened to Jesus, ultimately, he goes to the cross, that much more, um, uh, I I guess, scandalous. Because all of his trials happened in the cover of darkness. When Jews did not, you know, they were home, they were not working, they don't practice their faith, and, and no Jew would ever put another Jew on trial in the evening. See, even, even the religious leaders were starting to have this visceral reaction to Jesus. And go, go ahead, this week and the next week, go read the trials that Jesus went under before he went to the cross. They happen in the cover of darkness. Verse 52, they replied, are you from Galilee, Nicodemus too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. So it's almost like they're looking at Nicodemus like, who, like what are you? Are you? Are you one of us? Do you agree with us? What are we supposed to do with you, Nicodemus? Here's the deal, friends, okay? Jesus <clears throat> is nothing special when he talks about his idea of the kingdom of God. What I mean by that, don't, don't shoot me, but what, what I mean by that is in the first century, you always had a religious Jewish sect of people that wanted to overthrow the Roman Empire, okay? So when you say the man's got me down, in the first century, you were talking about Rome. All the time, these, uh, these almost, Rome would call them cult leaders. These, these, these religious sects would pop up. But you know what? You know, I mean, it's just a band of, of crazy, you know, Uncle Larry. And, and eventually, that, that would die down. But Jesus is gaining popularity. Jesus is gaining credibility. And so what this crazy band of brothers started out as, well, now... Now the religious leaders have to pay attention. And now Rome is starting to pay attention. Now, if you remember at the end of John, Pilate doesn't care if Jesus is whoever he claimed to be. Like Rome was very tolerant and very accepting of other religions. You can be whatever you want to be. Pilate could care less about if Jesus is who he claimed to be. You can just be whatever. Sound familiar? But yet... Jesus and his followers were causing a disturbance in the Roman Empire. And this is when Jesus says uh, his most, I would say, his most offensive statement. 
that, that we like if you are an American Christian, because it's pretty cut and dry, right? It's either I am this or I'm not this. But I think the response isn't so uh, black and white. In John chapter 8, verse 58, shortly after that commotion, that conversation that we just leaned into, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you. <clears throat> when Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, this is your mom saying, hey, listen to me, right? Let, hey, let, put, put, that, put it down. Let, listen to me. Je- what Jesus is about to say, right, that there are important things and then there are ultimate things that, that we use our um, words for. This is an ultimate thing. Okay, so Jesus says, very truly I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up, these religious leaders, at this they pick up the stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple. In short, this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. God. That's ultimately, and I know he died for our sins. I get that. There's multiple vantage points to the cross. But historically, that's ultimately what got Jesus killed. Because the Jews had a framework that God was one. They didn't believe in the Trinity. They, my Jewish friends still don't believe in the Trinity today. God would never become a human. So Jesus shows up on the scene and says, <clears throat> and we'll break it down here in a minute, that I am God. And they did not know what to do with him. Their theology pushed them away from Jesus. But let, me, let me say that again, because some of us are in that spot. Their theology, their worldview, how they saw things, actually pushed uh, Jesus away from themselves. They did not know what to do with a man who claimed to be God. Now, if you grew up in the church, this is, this is the part where you say, yeah, preacher, you go get them, right? But, but this is not about how right or wrong we are or other people are or your atheist friends or your Muslim friends or your Jewish. That, that, that's not, this, this should break our heart. That you, hopefully, Lord willing, are having conversations with people that aren't connected to a church and have no idea what to do with this person named Jesus. Because essentially what Jesus is doing, he's taking the name of God in the Old Testament, which you do not do, ego, I me, I am that I am, and he's saying, that's my title. That's, that's my position. And you start to see why these religious leaders are picking up stones to want to stone Jesus. Because theologically, that's wrong. Jesus probably went to rabbinic school with these these guys growing up in the first century. Jesus never left more than 100 miles from where he grew up. So it's likely he's had run in with these people. Like They saw Jesus. They they played with Jesus in the backyard. And now as a grown man, he's saying, go I me. I am that I am. That, that, that name for God, that, that, that belongs to me. Before Abraham and Isaac, I existed. 
Before, do you remember, do you remember, guys, um, do you remember when, uh, when, when your father and your grandfather and your great-grandfather were in Israel and you were going from bondage to slavery, <clears throat> from Egypt to Canaan, and there was that bush thing that told Moses, uh, tell them that I am sent you? That was me, right? You, you, it's okay. It's, it's okay, right? Because you're thinking science. You're thinking birth order. And these people are like, how can you exist before Abraham? Like, we should stone you right now. And this has caused so much division throughout the years. The way Jesus describes himself does not lend for neutrality. He either, so, so in Jesus' framework, I'm getting worked up. I like this stuff. Jesus is either, is either God or there's atheism. Like, that's essentially what Jesus is saying. Like, with this statement, there is no other God in the planet. Or if I'm lying, there's just atheism. Like, this right here is a waste of time. Like, that's essentially what he's telling us. And for some of us, and for some of your friends, especially middle school and high school students, you chose atheism because your concept of God is not big enough. And sometimes the way we view God probably deserves our atheism. Because sometimes if you, ha- if you sit long enough with somebody over coffee and you say, tell me the kind of God you believe in, and the kind of God you believe in is out of touch with 2018, uh, doesn't really know how to deal with human suffering and why bad things happen to good people and all those big existential questions. And if those <clears throat> questions go unanswered, obviously it mostly leads to atheism or just apathy. Like I don't really care right now if, about religion in general. And so for so many of us, we've chose atheism because we be- we, we've had this belief that, that God is not big enough right? God, God, we can just con- contain and control God in our boxes. And if that's you, I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you because I, I, don't, I don't know your story. And it's very easy to claim atheism when we keep Jesus very nice and neat in this little box. Let me ask you a personal question. Have you ever had a, like this Jewish audience, have you ever had a faith encounter had a conversation, read a book, you were on a retreat, worshiping God, out for a run, riding your bike, and, and God just totally blew your mind. And like this Jewish audience, you did not know what to do with that experience. And that causes turmoil in us if we don't know where to put Jesus with this new reality. And this is the same thing for the first century Jews. If Jesus votes for the same political party as we vote for, if Jesus hangs out with the same kinds of people that we hang out with, if Jesus uh, doesn't like or disregards the same people we don't like and we disregard, we're not following Jesus. We're worshiping ourselves, And the Bible calls that idolatry. And Jesus says, whatever your concept of God is, it, it, it's bigger because I am that I am. Week one, I talked about um, different statements, different people throughout, um, throughout history has claimed of Jesus. Today, I want to talk about a few statements of what other religions say of Jesus, okay? And, and, and put this in contrast to what he actually claims to be, okay? And so if you could just give me five to seven more minutes, five to ten more minutes, uh, we're going to go deep, 
But I think it's important, I, I, really do, I really think it's important as you consider what you're walking away from or, what, or who you're actually following. Hindus believe that Jesus was simply a holy man to teach us about God. Uh, I don't know if you know much about the Baha'i faith. Uh, one of my favorite shows is The Office. There's a guy named Dwight Schrute, or a character played by Rain Wilson. Uh, he's a big follower of the Baha'i faith. And, and, and like Hinduism, uh, basically Jesus is just a, a great religious teacher in a line of all the other religious teachers that are meant to teach us about God. Uh, Buddhists believe that Jesus was an enlightened man. Jews believe that Jesus was a great teacher and a rabbi. Jehovah Witnesses uh, be don't believe in the Trinity. Uh, they believe that God uh, created Jesus. Uh, and Mormons believe that Jesus is less than the Father, a created being. And Jesus is actually uh, brothers with the devil. Uh, in 2008, I was living in Salt Lake City. Long story, maybe I'll share that later. And I went to the uh, non-Mormon, because you can't get into the temple unless you're Mormon, the, the non-Mormon um, building that basically had the history of Mormonism. It was, it was fascinating. And, and I went to the very top, <clears throat> and there's this domed sort of cathedral-looking thing. And, and under the dome is painted the cosmos, right? Because the point of Mormonism, the nirvana, the utopia, the heaven of Mormonism is that one day you would be a good enough Mormon that your ladies, that your husband would call you into the third level of heaven. This is, I'm not making this up. This is, you can, this is what they believe, that eventually you can rule your own planet and your universe and Jesus will come by and say hello, when I was in that museum, I saw families holding each other, crying, because they have this worldview that Jesus was created by God, that, that, that Jesus is somehow a brother of the devil. I, 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 look, what you believe matters. Ideas have consequences. And, and I, look, I'm not, I'm not too proud. Like, I, I wept. Because this is not what Jesus claimed to be. And look, religion, I'm, I'm not trying to beat anybody down, but what you say about Jesus actually matters. Like if religion and denominations weren't a thing and we we're just looking at this text, Jesus never claimed to be brothers with the devil. Jesus never claimed to be created by God. Jesus never said, I'm not part of the Trinity. What are all these religions doing to our friends? There is spiritual warfare beyond what you can see. And I know we make good money. We're all well-educated in spiritual warfare that happens in third world countries. It doesn't. It happens in first world countries as well here in America. And Jesus says, I am that I am. I am the God of the universe. So let's break this down. I want to ask two questions. The first question is this, what does it mean that Jesus is God? And I could be here for four hours. Um, don't worry, the pets play at like four o'clock. Eight o'clock. Okay, so I can be here eight hours. Um, <laughs> uh, here's the first question. What does it mean that Jesus is God? What it means is that, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus is the full and complete package of God. Paul says in Colossians 2.9 that in Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Whoa. 
That is a big statement. And so let me break it down for us. What Paul is saying, there's two kind of references and words here. All the fullness refers to this abstract idea of godness, the the stuff of God. So Paul is saying whatever is, is compiled to be the stuff of God is inside the person of Jesus. And then he takes it a step further and he says, he uses the Greek word pan, P-A-N, meaning the word all, all of the fullness, all of whatever it means to be God, right? This is why we have poetry and musicians and songwriters and, and authors. What, you know, we're, tr- you know, like the kingdom, of, it's a poetic grunt. We're trying to describe God, whatever it means to be God, all of it, the whole package is boom, right into the heart of of Jesus. A few years ago, uh, I was here visiting my brother who uh, lives in Nashua. I said, I, I got to find the best lobster roll. And he said, go to Brown's. Okay. Yeah, I got some amens in the first round. So I need, I need to talk about that every week and then collect the offering because you guys are like really positive about that. Um, so I went to Brown's and I'll never forget, I'll never forget biting into my first lobster roll, right? The breaded butter, the, the mayonnaise, the lobster. It was like that moment on Sandlot, right? This magic. I mean, it was just amazing. That's what Paul is saying about Jesus. The filling, the stuff that makes the lobster roll the lobster roll, right? The cream filling that, that, that makes the Twinkie worth eating. The, the, the godness, the full package of, of God is inside the person of Jesus, this is what Paul is saying, okay? After Jesus, you know, died, rose again, went up to heaven. So th- this is later on, okay? So Paul is interviewing other people who knew Jesus. That's why you can't make this stuff up, right? You don't disprove the Bible through the scientific method. You disprove it through the evidentiary method. You want to interview people who met and knew Jesus. And that's what Paul is doing. And after my work, he's saying, I've compiled that Jesus is the stuff of God inside of Jesus. I'm not sure quite how to figure that out. The best I can say it with words is that inside of Jesus is all deity. Secondly, Jesus, uh, what does it mean to be God? Jesus is filled to the brim of God. I love, uh, my, my, my wife likes fixing stuff and rehabbing stuff. I have preacher hands. I can't fix anything. But I love to cut our grass, plant flowers, uh, and, and be in the yard, turn on some good music, kind of check out. But when I'm done, when I'm done, I grab an ice cold glass out of the freezer and I use two Diet Cokes, judge me if you want, and I fill it from the bottom all the way to the brim, right? So the quantity, right? I'm geeking out, but hang with me. The quantity of the drink is the glass but the quality is in the volume of the Diet Coke. I love me some Diet Coke. (laughs) Jesus is not just the total quantity of God, but he's bottom to top, filled to the brim, the quality of God. In Philippians 2.6, Paul says this, who, talking about Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, or my translation says something to be grasped. So basically what Jesus, or I'm sorry, what Paul is saying is that Jesus being in the very nature of God, that's a Greek phrase for Jesus was in the form of God at birth. 
We sing this at Christmas, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. In the first gathering, I said a, I made a heretical statement because uh, I was trying to catch my breath. I said Jesus was God when he took his first breath. No, Jesus was always, always God. So thank you for you guys who are listening and correcting me because uh, I like it here. I don't want to lose my job. What, what, what I'm saying is that Jesus was God when he was born. He was God in the delivery room ever before we thought that he should declare his deity in a kingdom. Jesus was always God. The entire creation of the world, the entire pregnancy that Mary had, and he was Lord at his birth. But then Paul takes it another step further. He says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to hold on to, use to his advantage, or to take a grasp at it. So I remember in middle school asking my youth pastor, like, was Jesus not God? What does this mean? No, what Paul is saying that when Jesus was born, he was always God. And because he was always God, he did not go after the desire to be God because he was always God. There was no need for him to go after the thing that would make him God because he was already God. Does this make sense? We do this all the time in our lives, right? It's the lie in the garden. You, you, can, you can eat this fruit. You can be like God. And, and, and our culture is so sexy, right? Like just spend your money here, or invest in this, or use your time this way. And, and how many of us get tripped up? J- Jesus had clarity of mind, right? The perfect personality, the perfect temperament, that even at birth and in his growing up years, he did not think about how can I, how can I reach out and be God? Because he was all ready God. He was filled from the bottom to the top of deity. This is what Jesus is claiming to be. So let me ask you a second question, hopefully a little more, a little more practical. What does it mean for me and my friends that Jesus is God? Well, first of all, what it means is Jesus is the intimacy of God. So let's, let's, let's get our heads out of the clouds and, and consider our hearts here for a second. John 1, 1 through 3 states this, in the beginning, it's the beginning of the entire world, not at the beginning of the gospel of John or when Jesus was born, at the beginning of the creation of the world, right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made. So basically, Jesus is not only saying, I'm God, but everything, art, science, beauty, music, uh, architecture, preaching, any, like all of it is meant to find its redemptive potential in him. Now, when John says the word was with God, what he's saying literally in the Greek that Jesus was face to face with the Father. Uh, you, you do this on the first day of school, parents. Hopefully, you, you sit your kid down, right? Hopefully, they're behaving. Uh, and, and you look at him and say, Look, Billy, it's third grade. You're going to rock it, right? You're going to do good. I'm praying for you. Now get out there and catch the bus, right? It's, it's that exchange that the father and the son have before Jesus comes to earth. That, that it's not speaking just of the proximity, but the intimacy that Jesus has with the father. And for us to know the heart of God means that we have to know Jesus. Jesus, listen, this is important. Jesus is the only religious teacher that says you cannot know God unless you know me. Muslims, Jews, Hindus, every other world religion says, I'm just a prophet. I can't can't 
tell you about God. You pray to God and talk to him yourself. Jesus in John 6 is the only religious teacher that says, if you don't know me, you have no idea what my father is like. And so when Jesus comes to earth, he's not, he's not a God looking to pummel us. He's, he's a God that wants to share the intimacy that he has with the father and, and enjoy that spiritual formation. Not that we just know about God, that we actually enjoy a relationship with him. Secondly, Jesus is a journeyman of God. In John 8, 52, uh, the crowd says this, the Jewish leaders, as they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. You're just crazy, Jesus. Abraham died, so did the prophets. Yet you say, whoever obeys your word, you'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And if you're a skeptic, whether you're here, watching online, I think that's the most honest question that you can ask yourself. Jesus, who do you think you are? Because that question can, I think, change and transform your life. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Jesus doesn't want you to declare intellectually that he's God. He wants, you, he wants to be your framework, your worldview of, of how you see the entire world. Job, in the book of Job, if you're familiar with that story, lost his entire family, lost his, his land, his property. And it's a great book if you're wrestling with why do bad things happen to good people. And he says this, you said, listen now. He's talking to God. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will see, I will question you and you shall answer me. Listen to this. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes see you. Your doubt does not have to be the thing that keeps you from God. Your doubt can be the, catal the catalyst to bring you into a relationship with Jesus. For 15 years, I've been serving in the local church and the people that are most skeptical and, have, and, and are the most doubtful tend to be the people that are the most engaged. So whether you're curious or you're convinced that Jesus is who he says he is, I want to just encourage you to keep, keep leaning in. I'm going to pray and we're going to continue in worship. But as you leave today, Tyler had mentioned this, there's a, there's a black chalkboard wall that basically just says Jesus is. And whether you're convinced or curious, we would love for you to write down what is one word that best describes how you see Jesus. If you want to use Savior and Healer, by all means, go ahead. If you want to use phrases like he's a joke, uh, he's, he's, he's a crutch, go ahead. Go ahead. It, look, whether you believe or doubt, don't do it alone. Do it in community. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for uh, your, your word. And I, I thank you that... Um, you give us the grace to, to talk about these big statements. I, I would pray that um, as we learn new things today or are affirmed by things we already believe, that, this, that our theology would not make us arrogant, but it would humble us, that we would be willing to share our faith with other friends, invite them uh, into the remaining weeks of this series. Uh, God, you are always on the move. You are always bigger than the words we can use to define you, and yet you still want a relationship with us. Thank you, God. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.